To get us started today, I have a little bit of easy trivia for you. Well, <laughs> I guess it's easy if you're 35 years or older. Ready? Here's the question. Which classic movie was shown on TV every Thanksgiving for over four decades? Do you think you have an answer? If you do, you could write it in the chat box right now, or if you're watching with a group of people, maybe just uh, share your answer with the group. Ready? Here it is. The answer is The Wizard of Oz. Every Thanksgiving night for over four decades, it was shown on TV. And my first thought is this. It's amazing how things have changed over the years, where today, if you want to watch just about any movie at any time, you can do it by just clicking on a mouse. But back in the 80s, when I was a kid, I remember my family rearranging their schedule on Thanksgiving Day in order that we could sit around the TV and watch this movie, The Wizard of Oz. Now, if I were to sort of describe my relationship with this movie, I would describe it as complicated. Here's why. I loved it. I watched it every year when I was a kid, but it was kind of scary. And there were parts of it that I remember dreading. For instance, you think about that lady who drove the bike in Kansas and just how scary she looked. And then there was that music behind the scenes. Dun, 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 dun. And then there was her counterpart in Oz, which was the Wicked Witch of the West, the green skin and the cackling voice and the deformed nose, and then flying monkeys. Can you imagine monkeys that fly out of the sky, pick you up and carry you away? And then of course, of course, there was the Wizard of Oz his big head, booming voice, and all of the, the smoke and, and clouds and, and noise as Dorothy and the gang come into contact with him. Now, there was a lot of things that were scary about the Wizard of Oz. Some things that caused a seven-year-old Ben to kind of cover up his eyes just a little bit with his hand. But the reason why I came back to watching that movie every single year was because I knew the truth. I knew the truth about the wizard. He was just some ordinary man pushing buttons and speaking into a microphone behind a curtain. I knew the truth about how the movie would end, that the Wicked Witch of the West would be melted and that Dorothy and Toto too would make it back to Kansas. You know, knowing the truth is important. In fact, for our first point for this week, I'm going to say it this way. Knowing the truth is a powerful thing. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> we live at a time in history where information is more accessible than in any other point. In fact, information is everywhere. We carry information around with us in our phones. 
everywhere we go. And yet at the very same time, I would say this, that truth, truth you can count on, it's harder to find and to know what that is than in any other point in history. Knowing the truth is a powerful thing. And, and today, as we get back into our Revelation series, this is going to be an important thing for us to remember. We're in part five of six parts of this series. And what we've been doing is taking a look at the highlights of this book that John wrote as God gave him some visions about the end of the world. And, and today, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking and taking a look at this, this time that causes so many people lots of fear, the end of the world. And in some ways, there's no way around it. You see, for those that reject Jesus and reject the truth of the Bible, the reality is, although they don't know it, that there should be some fear and apprehension about the end of the world. But when you and I know the truth of how things end, knowing the truth is a powerful thing. And what I love about this section for today is that for those who know and believe the truth, there is absolutely nothing to fear about the end of the world. In fact, it's a day of victory. It's a day that we can actually look forward to. And so we're in the book of Revelation. And as has been mentioned, this book is basically the recording of seven visions that John one of Jesus' 12 disciples were, was given by God as an elderly man on the island of Patmos. Now, all seven of these visions, as you've heard us say, were essentially about the same period of time in history. These visions were about uh, what would happen to the earth and to people and even to the devil and his demons uh, during the time between Jesus resurrection 2000 years ago, and then the day that he will someday come back on judgment day. And like I said, the words in front of us today are from his seventh vision and they're about that last day. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Here's what is written. And I, referencing John, saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, the, the first question I think we need to address is this. Who is the angel that's being referenced in these verses? Well, when you look at the context, it becomes very clear that this angel is no ordinary angel, but instead... It's Jesus himself, Jesus Christ, our savior. And let me point out 
why I can be so sure of that. Uh, the first thing is this, that it says that he has the key to the abyss or to hell. And, and this is an imagery that's used throughout the, the New Testament to talk about the person or people who have the, the power to allow people into heaven or to keep people into hell. The imagery is a key. And while in a small way, God gives some of this authority, at least speaking authority to his people here on earth, as it's recorded in Matthew. Um, Jesus ultimately is the one who has that power and that authority and holds the key. Uh, the other thing that is mentioned here, which makes it clear that it's Jesus as that angel is it says that he has this great chain and that he is the power to bind the devil for a thousand years. You see, the only one who has the power to control the devil is God, is Jesus. And I think it's good for us today, as we go through this section, to just camp out on this point for a little bit. You see, <laughs> You know, as well as I do, that we live at a time in history where things seem to be always going from bad to worse, to bad, to worser than worse. And there's no doubt about it. It's been some difficult times. There have been things that have happened, not just over the past couple years, but for sure, uh, it seems to be even more heightened in the last couple years that have just really, for some of us, rocked our faith, caused us to be anxious or worried. And the reality is, is that the devil is real and that there will be evil in this world but what I love in these verses is that we can be certain that the devil is being managed and that there is someone in charge of him and that our Lord and Savior Jesus has him on a leash. He has him bound. And because of that, no matter how you're feeling right now, the reality is this you're going to be okay. In fact, maybe you want to write that in the chat right now to remind yourself, or again, say this to someone that you're watching this with. We need to hear this. We need to internalize this. We need to verbalize this. You are going to be okay because there's no power that can overcome Jesus power. Let's go back to the imagery in this verse. Has it ever happened to you when you've been on a walk in the neighborhood where you've gone by someone's house and for whatever reason, the dog's out, maybe even two of them, and a big barking dog starts sprinting and barking and sprinting towards your family or towards you, maybe again, maybe it's two and the reality is, is in that moment, a lot of times we don't know how it's going to end, right? It might happen that the barking dog continues running, jumps on us and bites us. 
Sometimes they stop just short of you. Other times, maybe they come up and want you to pet them. We, we don't know how it's going to end. Now, sometimes what gives me comfort is when this has happened and I see the dog coming, I might also see some movement in the grass. <laughs> and that's a sign to me that the dog is on a leash and I'm going to be okay. The devil is real. He's powerful. God has allowed him some power during this season of the world. And yet he's on a leash. God is in control. And while sometimes we might feel like we're victims because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead, you and I can know that we are not victims, but instead victors and that God's love for you is so great that he's not just going to wait to see you in heaven, but instead he walks with us until that day that Christ returns. Now, in these verses, there is a, a reference to something that I think has probably caused Christians a, a lot of confusion even over the last 2000 years, there's been a lot of confusion around what is referenced here. Let me read verse two again. And then also verse three, um, he, Jesus sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And this is a, a reference to the reality. And we don't know exactly what this is going to look like or to feel like, but the reality that right before Jesus returns, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, the confusion that some have is that this thousand years is referencing a literal 1000 year period of time where in essence, Christ returns and establishes um, this utopia, this kingdom for Christians right here on this earth before he creates a new heaven and a new earth before judgment day. Now, I, I want to talk to you a little bit quickly about, first of all, why this thousand years um, doesn't reference a literal thousand year period of time. First of all, a literal thousand years doesn't fit the context of the rest of the vision. Here's what I mean. The rest of the vision as we've gone through it, these first three verses is very figurative, right? Uh, we talked about how Jesus is pictured as an angel, even though, you know, Jesus isn't an angel. 
and that the uh, power to allow people into heaven or to put them into hell is pictured as having a key for a lock on a door, which that's figurative. Hell doesn't really have a door that has a key Um, or that Jesus has a chain to bind the devil's neck, to have him on a leash. And yes, he's absolutely in control, but there's not a literal leash binding the devil. Or how about this, that the devil is pictured as a dragon, which he's a spirit, not a literal dragon. And so as you look at these verses, you see that all of these things are figurative. And so the best reading of these verses would also lend itself to the thousand years being a set period of time that God has planned out for something. The, the other thing that I want to bring up is that when it comes to difficult verses like this, and this was mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that we are best to read the Bible and allow the Bible to explain itself. Um, maybe another way to say that is we allow the very clear sections of scripture to help us explain the sections that are a little more difficult. And as you read through the rest of the Bible, there is no other reference for Jesus returning, setting up an earthly kingdom and then returning again on judgment day. Instead, it's actually the opposite that we talked about and saw in verse three, that Jesus returns once and that before he returns in all of his glory to create a new heaven and a new earth, that there is this, this short period of time where things get worse instead of getting better. So, What does the thousand years reference? Well, as we think about that and think about the first three verses, we heard that the thousand years began when the devil, when Satan was bound. When did that happen? Well, as we think about some words that that Jesus spoke about how he was here to drive the prince of this world out we recognize that the devil was, was bound in a very real way and in, a, in a, a tighter way when Jesus died and rose again. And then when does this thousand year period of time, this, this set period of time end? Not after a thousand years, not 1000 AD because, you know, we're in 2021, but instead at the last day right after things get a little bit worse and then when Jesus comes in his power. So let's talk a little bit about that last day. Let's read what John saw as we skip ahead to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him, Christ, who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, 
That one is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person on the last day was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Again, remember God is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. The lake of fire is the second death. I think we need to talk about that for a quick moment. Uh, As we read through the New Testament, we recognize that God talks about there being two deaths that some will experience. The first death is our physical earthly death that every single one of us will experience unless Jesus returns first. And then the second death is that eternal death in hell that only those who don't acknowledge Christ as their Lord will experience. And then it ends, anyone whose name was not found written the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, as I read these words, I think about a lot of things, but one of the things that becomes very clear is, well, I'm going to put it this way. What you do this side of heaven matters. We're going to be reminded in just a moment that we are not saved by the things that we do. But as we read John's vision, we see that not only John, but in the book of Matthew, Jesus too references the, the actions of his people during the time that they are living here on this earth as being a signal of their faith and an important thing that God looks at. What you do this side of heaven matters. And I want you to think a moment about how interesting it is. The, the difference in the length of time that we are going to experience this earthly life and the amount of time post judgment day that we're going to experience eternity. Sometimes people after being in a long meeting might say something like that meeting lasted for an eternity. (laughs) And with a meeting, that's not a good thing, but with heaven, it's going to be an amazing thing. Like it's something we will never want to end and good thing because it won't, right? We get to be with Christ forever. But do you know what? There's one good thing that we can't do in heaven, but we can only do here. You know what that is? this. In heaven, there's no need to lead people to Jesus because they already know him. There's no reason to evangelize or share the gospel with someone who is hurting or feeling guilty or has no hope because everyone in heaven knows Christ and knows their hope and in fact is living 
and experiencing it. What we do this side of heaven matters. And there's nothing better that we could be doing than leading people to Jesus. And this is something that has been on my heart a lot over the last number of months. And for those of you who have been at North Cross for a while, you, you know that because you've heard me talk about this a lot. I really believe that there are so many Christians and churches that are really confused right now about what really matters. I think that that great dragon, the devil, Satan, is absolutely behind a lot of this, getting God's people to be focused and passionate and upset and opinionated and focused on the wrong things. Things that, well, for our earthly life, we can't say are unimportant, but not as important as this. And as I think about that last day, and as I think about God looking in his book and considering what we as a church or what I as a person have done, I pray that this is just a great reminder for us that this, this study about judgment day is a great reminder for us that there is nothing better that we can be passionate about. There is nothing more important that we as a church can be about than what our mission statement is and leading people to Jesus. Now, as I said before, some might read these verses and if they were the only verses that they read about judgment day, they, may get, get, they might get the idea that it is our works that save us. Once again, we allow the Bible to help us interpret the Bible. And, and this is one of my favorite clear verses about how I'm saved. Paul writes, for it is by grace, undeserved love, you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. Eternity and faith is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What you do matters. God cares about how you use your life. But our last point for today, Jesus is the only way into the book of life. That's the truth. And that's the truth that has the power to take away your fear, that has the power to give us hope and confidence. And even, especially I suppose in the, the times that we're living to look forward to Christ returning, to look forward for the end of the world. Knowing the truth is a powerful thing. So here's the truth. The truth is you and I will never do enough to earn our way into the book of life. You see, maybe it could be said this way that 
God isn't looking for the presence of good things. He's looking for the absence of all bad things in us. And I don't know about you, but when I take a close look at, at my life, I know that I don't even live up to my own standards, much less the standard of God, which is perfection. But that doesn't need to get me down or make me fearful or wonder about that judgment day that is coming. Because the truth is also this, that you and I have nothing to fear because Jesus is our perfection. Jesus was our perfect substitute. Jesus is your holiness. Jesus is your way. Jesus is your ticket to heaven, which we get to talk all about next week. Jesus is your ticket to eternity with him. Not because of who you are, not because you are one of the people who aren't distracted in this season that we're going through, not because of how well you act as a husband or a father, not because of all your volunteer time at church. Those are good things, but our name is in the book of life because Jesus wrote it there with his blood given for us, and with the new life that he's given to us. So until then, let's be real. There are going to be problems in life. Your life is not going to be perfect, but that's not because God is not with you. He predicted this will happen in a sinful world. But instead, he's promised to stay with us and be with us until that awesome day when Jesus returns and brings us to be with him forever. I encourage you to come back next week as we finish out this series and take a look at what John saw about heaven. But until then, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we go through life, you've given us little glimpses in the book of Revelation of some of the things that you are up to and why certain things are happening. Lord, as we go through, many of us, a difficult time, we just pray that you would point us ahead to the day when all challenges and all difficulties and all problems and evil go away and help us to look forward to that, not only with, um, with joy, but, but also with anticipation. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.